Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have John Epperson. Hello, everybody. We also have Valentino Stoll. Hey, now. So we were discussing before the show, and we decided to talk about attachment uploads and, like, action text. So just to give a little bit of context, I've been working on Top End Devs. You know, I got the podcast pages all basically handled. The other thing I guess we could talk about is just permissions and what a giant pain in the rear that is. Don't you wish that Rails came with a component library that would plug in the widgets, charts, graphs, and other things you need to build a solid user interface? And wouldn't it be even better if it looked great and was easy to integrate? Well, I have great news, folks. I found it. Avo provides all these things along with authentication, advanced search, menu editors, grid views, and a ton more. Plus, there's an open source version that gives a ton of stuff for free. Just go to avo.cool, that's A-V-O dot C-O-O-L, to see what they offer and give it a try. I'm so excited to have an option that works out of the box, doing more than the basic CRUD operations, and I'm thrilled that I don't have to buy an admin theme and then convert their stuff to Rails views. This is built for Rails by a Rails developer, and it's awesome. Go check it out at avo.cool. Those are kinds of things I've been dealing with lately is just uploads and texts and stuff like that. So to give a little bit of context to the problem space that I've been dealing with. So with the podcasts, one thing we need is kind of the rich text stuff for show notes, right? And so we want people to be able to go in, people being people on my team. I'm going to open it up to the host as well so they can go edit show notes and transcripts and stuff like that. Yeah, just having that sort of rich text flavor to it so that we can add bullet points. I mean, it's basic stuff, bullet points, headers, you know, to the different segments that we have in the show, picks. And then also the other part of that is uploading other things that pertain to the episode, like the audio files, or one thing that you can do with podcasts that I don't see a lot of people doing. The only show that I've seen that do this that does it on a regular basis is No Agenda, which is kind of a political show. But they do things differently, and it's really an interesting kind of case study on how to do podcasting in a little different way. They post new album artwork every week for their episode, right? And so that's that's fascinating to look at. And so just kind of figuring that out, and then it's like, okay, you know, I need some of this to go to the uh, cloud storage that we're using. Some of it needs to go to the media host for the podcast. And then just looking at how it all manages it with with the text and with active storage and, and things like that. So anyway, that's that's kind of been the space I've been working in over the last couple of weeks. Now I'm like up to my elbows in uh, Stripe. Let's talk about uploads here for a minute. So I'm curious what you all have experienced with active storage and or attachment management. So I have, jeez. Uh, uh, the first one that I actually remember is Paperclip. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we used something like prior to Paperclip, but uh, I don't remember it at all. So I have no idea what it was. And that was like, so like I started in like 2007. That was also like my first job straight out of college. Actually, I was still in college at the time. I was, you know, answering phones. And then I was like, just asked to like do some rail stuff on the side. So I uh, was learning a lot about like jobs and things like that. So there's definitely some things from those days that I don't remember very well. But I do remember when we switched over to Paperclip and I remember thinking that, wow, this is like really awesome and easy to use. I remember using Carrier Wave on a couple of projects. I remember not liking it and and just kind of like pushing Paperclip past its limit. 
I remember when refile came around and I was like literally trying to convince everyone to use refile (laughs) and then everyone, at least in my local Ruby meetup group and stuff. Right. Yeah. And then active storage came out and I've been on that train ever since. I just think it's, it, it it had the same feel that paperclip did back in the day, which was like, this is a large improvement over everything else. Mm -hmm. I remember when it came out and I like, wasn't, I wasn't even convinced. Like the patch notes came out and I was like, oh, it's fine. We've got paperclip and and carrier wave and refile. And I was like, eh, whatever, it's fine. Like there's not going to be that much use. And then I just decided to use it on a pet project. And I was like, this is way easier to configure. Yep. And that was all it took to convince. How about me. you, Valentino? Yeah, you know, I started with, uh, was a Rick Olson's attachment foo mm-hmm. uh, way back when. And, you know, it's just when you wanted to, get that file uploader button from the browser to actually store something. <laughs> and it's, you know, what, what you need and want to do with files now uh, has kind of transformed since then, right? Like Paperclip kind of introduced the, you know, post-processing and like, you know, serving things up in different versions. And, you know, some of the other ones, Shrine and Carrier Wave, you know, Refile, they, they all kind of add their own different takes to that. You know, post-processing, uh, what you can accept, kind of adding front-end stuff. And then even, I used to use one called Dragonfly, which was a way to just, like, you know, automatically serve up images of different sizes. So it was kind of, like, front-end focused. So you, it would give you an API to resize images, kind of like Cloudinary, or, yeah, like Cloudinary API yeah. if you've used that. And it was pretty cool. And, you know, now we have Active Storage, and it kind of, like is bundling everything <laughs> right and so with yeah. that comes a lot you know some complexity but uh, i think for the most part it's it's pretty you know straightforward where you just you know configure active storage and tell it where and how you want it to store and even like setting up on s3 is really easy you know you just mm-hmm. give it the three environment variables uh, or whatever it is that it needs, and it just automatically sends them over to AWS, right? Which is pretty great. It's interesting. I, I don't know if you guys have used kind of the more advanced features of, you know, active storage. I'm curious to hear if you use some of the transformation stuff that they have or any of the, the other more configurable stuff, because that, that stuff is really cool. And I haven't had the chance to dive into that yet, but I'm curious how it's fared. It's great. So I'm using it for like UPS and FedEx labels in a particular project. And so the issue is that UPS and FedEx labels have to be printed like exactly, except that in this particular project, I'm actually pulling like the FedEx labels from FedEx and they don't send the same size label every time, depending on which API you hit. And sometimes uh, some sometimes the same API sends a different size image. So, uh, yeah, I've definitely had to um, normalize my images and uh, Rails' transformation stuff actually just took care of that for me. It was nice. I'm just going to jump in here. You you all kind of shared your background with attachments, and then I'll talk a little bit about the, the variant stuff on active storage. Yeah, I mean, I, I got in. I think I played with Axe's attachment way back in the day, and then, uh, Rick Olson picked it up, and attachment foo was easier, but still a giant pain in the neck, right? It's interesting how technology kind of advances, and it's like, wow, this is so nice. And then you think back on it now, and you're like, that was a giant pain, right? 
And then you you move on to the next technology and you're like, wow, this is so nice. And then you think back and it's, oh, that last thing was such a giant pain, even though you remember that you really liked it when it came out. And uh, so, yeah, so paperclip and carrier wave. I resisted carrier wave for a long time just because I was used to paperclip and I knew what I was doing. But eventually I tried it out and I was like, oh, this is nice, right? And so, you know, kind of made the move. I have to tell you that uh, configuring fog still gives me nightmares. So, you know, just put that out there. But yeah, so I was setting up top end devs and, you know, had a couple of things shift on me a little bit. And so I was building out the course section. And yeah, anyway, I wound up building in the podcast portal instead, just because of pricing changes and things like that. And figured I, you know, I just won't pay somebody, you know, every month to to host all the stuff. So yeah, so I upload the files and I just, I was like, well, I'm just going to see, you know, what active storage is about. And holy cow, was it easier? It was way easier than anything else I had tried. Now I haven't tried Shrine. I haven't tried Dragonfly. Um, I haven't tried Refile either. So, you know, just, just putting those out there, you know, if, if you're looking for my basis of what I'm comparing it against, you know, I basically went from Carrier Wave to to active storage. And I've been so happy with it. It is so easy. I really like the approach that it has where you can essentially just say it has one or many attached files and tell it what it is. And that's super easy. And then, yeah, for the rest of it, you just call dot variant on it and it just kind of does its thing, right? It has a lot of options on it, but mostly I've just done a variant where I tell it what file format and what size I want and then tell it either to, you know, resize it one way or the other. And I, I've, I've been pretty happy with it. And it's also pretty straightforward as far as how to use it. So for the most part, I've, I've, yeah, I've been pretty delighted with it and doesn't take a whole lot of deep thought for me. It's just, it's just, oh, okay, I'm just going to do this. One other thing that I will point out is that I'm not using S3. I'm using something else that has an S3 compatible API. I'm using DigitalOcean. And so their block storage you set it up kind of the same way, but the directions weren't super clear as to what variable to put where. And so it took me a little bit of trial and error to get it together, but it wasn't bad. So yeah, I just used the S3 gem for it and then just tell it, you know, go use DigitalOcean server instead. And that works great. I've been I've been pretty happy with that too. So I'm going to put that out there. The other thing is, and this is just kind of a GWiz thing. So for... DigitalOcean stored stuff like the, I'm using it for the artwork for the shows and, you know, um, avatar images for users and things like that, right? But if you've been in the podcasting space for a while and you've posted your own podcast, you usually have a separate storage for those, right? Because they're rather large files that get downloaded thousands of times and you don't really want to pay the bandwidth and storage for that stuff. And so you go find somebody that, you know, basically charges all the little shows the same amount as they charge the big shows and you just pay a monthly fee for that. So I have a separate storage just for the media. And these are all forward thinking companies that use this highly secure and highly well thought out protocol called FTP to put their files on their server, right? And so I, I I effectively get the upload and then I just stream it through FTP onto the media server, which is real clunky, but it works, right? And then um, my FTP credentials are just saved as settings on the server. And, you know, the nice thing about that is, is I don't have to worry about whether or not it's secure from my machine because the upload is secure 
right? Over HTTPS, you know, it's as secure as the browser is, I guess. And then from there, putting it onto the file storage through FTP, that just happens directly from the machine that I'm uploading it to. So that that's pretty nice as well. And it's all worked pretty seamlessly. I will also say that one thing that's nice is that with Carrier Wave and Paperclip and some of the other ones, you actually have to migrate in your string file for the location of the file that you you need to use. And with Active Storage, one thing that's nice is that it just has one database for all of your files. So all you have to do is put in has one attached or has many attached, and it does all the magic for you. And and that's real, real nice because I can just deploy my code and not have to worry about whether or not I have to migrate or anything like that. So anyway, that's kind of been my experience with it. I don't know if you guys have specific questions about what I've done or specific things to add from what you've done. But uh, yeah, if you want to chime in. I presume we're talking SFTP at least, right? Mm, that'd not be just, nice. Not, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's funny because <laughs> I haven't looked at like Transistor. Actually, I have. I have used Transistor. I've used Fireside. They just make you do a web upload for their files. But Libsyn, Blueberry, some of the other file storage ones out there, you're, you're, you can use FTP. The nice thing about it is if you have a decent FTP program, it's rather convenient to just, you know, push all your files over as opposed to uploading them one at a time through the browser. What you get in convenience, you definitely lack in security. So I feel like maybe maybe it's not so bad because, you know, you want your podcast to get out to the public anyway. So <laughs> if someone man in the middles you, I guess it's not the worst. <laughs> um, the issue is, is that, it, well, yeah, and, you know, your music file, your MP3s are typically not really executable, right? So unless there's some exploit in the player or something weird, you know, I've seen stuff, but it's, usually it's pushed in a different way. The issue is, is if they capture your credentials, then they can push other stuff up to the server and serve it out however, whenever, however, wherever they want. That is true. Yeah. I mean, speaking to the MP3s are not executable. I mean, wasn't there a uh, a JPEG oh, there or something related thing yeah. where it was allowing uh, code execution from a, mm-hmm. an image, right? Yeah. Yeah, and MP3s have metadata yeah, too. Think, and yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why I'm saying... You know, depending on the player and how it all goes together, maybe. But <laughs> when I grow up and play all the spy games, I want to put all the information I've gathered into uh, metadata. I'll just encrypt it and stick it in there. I was going to say, speaking more to ac- active storage, uh, one thing I really like about it is the uh, the CDN support mm-hmm. so that you can kind of wrap your own CDN preference with whatever you're using to store it on the back end. I don't know if anybody has played with that, but it's super easy and convenient i remember three or four times spending like a day or overnight like trying to figure out why my you know uh why my settings weren't working for my cdn and then cores came out and like cores was always mucking with everything for me oh man and like yeah so i i i know that i spent tons of time like getting things working sometimes i i totally had like um a site that was running just fine and uh, I really hadn't been paying attention to, you know, some, I guess, changes in how browsers are handling core stuff and I totally had to go fix some stuff like two months ago on an already running site. It's it's a pain and uh, 
I have really liked that the stuff that's on active storage, like I don't have like those three, I don't know. There was like some cores gem that I downloaded and like something else like, and I had to like get like multiple things going to get it working. That stuff was super brittle. The active storage stuff, not brutal at all. It's awesome. I didn't have to fix any of the active storage stuff in this case. I actually had to fix my AWS configuration is what or my S3 configuration, right. I guess. Which is a whole nother can of worms, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just wish this is where Yeah. I wish they had a same default. The thing that I like about Rails, right? It gives us that same default thing that's like but in AWS, they just give you a blank box and they're like, go figure it out yourself. Yeah, pretty much. Here's some docs, which have nothing specific in mm-hmm. them. So, yeah. Yeah, go watch a tutorial on YouTube or something. Yep, yep. I mean, that's that's yeah. how I figured it out. But Yeah, me too. They leave you hanging pretty hard. Yeah, I, I've looked at some of the CDN stuff, but I haven't done much with it. I am I think eventually I'm going to get to the point where I'm going to have to. Just because, you know, as I start putting more stuff out there i'm just you know and and we already get it's funny because i I, i'm using sentry for my um bug tracking and um don't don't tell ray gun there one of our sponsors anyway um but i pushed up a bit of code that was it threw an error in application html erb and so um, I got a pretty good idea of what my traffic is day to day because it was up for 24 hours with broken. But yeah, you know, I think I think some of that's going to eventually need to go into a CDN just so we can get the kind of speed and um, reliability options that I want. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because CDNs are like kind of your easiest win with performance, right? <laughs> it it like really depends. If you're, if you're serving it, like, Let's say you have the cheapest option, which is like probably mm-hmm. some digital ocean droplet or or something right. shared server instance. It's probably hosted in the US somewhere in a specific region. You know, if if you need to serve any requests over a distance, like you're gonna start to see that. <laughs> so if especially yeah. if your site has a ton of images, like, you know, those those pages will get bogged down, you know, making the trip wherever it needs to go. And it's kind of incredible, like Making the switch and seeing the improvements that you get, I definitely recommend it. It's it's not really that hard to to set up. I do remember, like, so so my first gig was I worked for this company that broadcast auctions over the internet, right? Uh, cattle like livestock auctions, basically, mm-hmm. right? And so when I first got there, most of what we did was just video and stuff. But then as time went on, one of the features that we added was we were like, hey we're going to add these catalog images, right? Like, so, you know, it would show you the information about, except that instead of text and things like that, it was just images. And it was super cool. Everything works great in testing. We went live, boom. Like our first auction, like, you know, there's hundreds or thousands of people downloading images from our server all at the same time. This is back before, you know, Nginx was out. We were still using Apache and, you know, it was not good. Uh <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely learned my CDN lesson there. E- even with Nginx, it wouldn't have been good. I've enough. looked at some of the other CDN providers too, and a lot of them use FTP as well. I'm I'm a little curious because I haven't like programmatically used the CDN, and 
for the images and stuff that makes sense but i've thought about also pushing like javascript and css files to the cdn after webpacker or something uses them and i haven't really looked into how to do that so so my favorite thing to do is and, and i know that there's a lot of analogous things out there my favorite thing to do is just throw up an s3 bucket you can you can actually attach like an aws cdn mm-hmm. whatever they call their thing uh in front of it and it like pulls from the bucket and it like caches on pull so you just pull a url with the cdn stuff Mm -hmm. in front or whatever and that image gets cached after that and i find that to be like pretty like super useful pretty easy to use relatively easy to configure especially with uh active storage and then you know, you just don't ever think about it and you just have a CDN for the rest of the time. But yeah, I mean, if you're manually uploading stuff, that's a little bit different. And Yeah, I like the idea, though, of pushing stuff into a bucket and then just having it automatically CDN the bad boy. Because for those that don't, I'm not going to assume, I guess, anyone's experience level here. So if you're not familiar with how a CDN works, effectively, the way that it works is they have data centers all over the world, whichever CDN you're using, whether it's Amazon or somebody else. They have a CDN or they have data centers all over the world. And so effectively, they copy your file up to all those data centers. And then they usually have some kind of caching mechanism on the front end. And so when somebody requests the file the first time, it has to load it into the cache and then load the file. So they're slow. But after that, as long as it's kept active, in other words, as long as people keep requesting it, it'll maintain it in the cache layer and load it up pretty fast because it's the cache layer's memory. And so it just, you know, it just throws it out there. That That's part of the deal. And then, yeah, the other thing is, is it doesn't have to go all the way around the world to get it right. So you don't have to hop, blah, 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 all the way back to, you know, the, the server in the U.S., if that's where it's being hosted, right, it can be, you know, it'll hit somewhere that's in a country nearby if it's not in country itself. Having all that auto- automatically managed, that seems really nice. Yep. It also handles lots of requests all at once, mm-hmm. you know, when everybody's literally trying to all download the same image from your server and, you know, yeah. So Yeah, that's part of that caching. Thousands of servers or probably more, yeah. Mm-hmm. You yep. could always do uh, Aaron Patterson's trick and... uh you know, drop a file in a gist and then share use GitHub CDN. <laughs> <laughs> hey folks, I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, I, I have to complain. I mean, when I started in tech like 20 years ago, one of the first things they taught me was to use tail and grep to find the problem on a server. And uh, I, I don't do that anymore. Um, I have to say Raygun kind of solves that problem for me and picks up all the stuff that really is relevant to the request or whatever that hack came in. Um, I'm curious, do you find that with kind of the oldsters like me, a common thing or? I think there's definitely better approaches to solving some of these problems now. You know, <laughs> I, I always used to think of logging. I heard this great analogy once. It was like, you know, logging tools are like coffins. Things go in there. They very rarely come out, you know, True. um, and you feel safe because it's there, but there's so much noise. Understanding what's mm-hmm. important and what's not takes a lot of effort. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, often I talk about Raygun's crash reporting product as being like a black box flight recorder. Like, just tell me when the plane blows up because I need to fix that really urgently, <laughs> you know, um, and that's been hugely valuable. And you don't need to tail that. That's true. You know, folks, you should just go get Raygun and then you can see when stuff breaks, what matters. You can get it at Raygun.com. They actually are doing a free trial. So go check it out. I'm sure that somebody has 
over-engineered a solution doing that for real. Yeah. Well, and it may be against their terms of service. So if that if you do that and you get in trouble, blame Valentino. Well, for, for personal use. For personal yeah, use. yeah. I definitely was not encouraging. <laughs> so back in the day, uh, or I shouldn't say back in the day. So refile, right? So refile was what? Five, maybe like seven-ish years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, so more than five, but less than 10. Somewhere in there, right? Is I think when, when sort of like refile like kind of came out and there was this tutorial uh what was the drag and drop file thing back then it was not dropbox it was drop droppable mm. something whatever it was a file upload thing where you could just like drag your files on it it was super nice looking and all that kind of stuff or it was javascript thing so there was some tutorial that had refile that thing and it hooked it all up with stimulus and uh, that was literally my after Hello World, that was my second, you know, thing of stimulus. That's what got me hooked. Was that on Drop Zone and Refile at the same time? Drop Zone. That's what it was. Yep. And uh, that totally got me hooked on stimulus right then. But it also just got me hooked on Refile because I was like, this just works smoothly. Like it gives me all the post-processing things that I wanted without having the extra files of Carrier Wave. It worked better than Paperclip. I didn't have to go look up some weird uh you know stuff to put in my uh uh rack things in order to get paperclip to behave and you know work correctly yeah it was super awesome and great and then active storage came out also worked with stimulus yeah i i don't really necessarily know that active storage has like some super great feature that the other things you know didn't because like i said earlier like i um I was like, eh, whatever, it's fine. I've got this mm-hmm. other stuff, right? But but it just worked really smoothly and there were just enough things wrong with everything else. And I was like really hooked on stimulus and the stuff was working really great with it. And so to me, like that's its big selling point. It just works. So do we want to talk about action text for a minute? Because, uh, yeah, I pulled that into, that was super easy. I can't remember, I think it was gem install and then you run the generator and you're basically done. It pulls in the tricks editor, which is Basecamp project, and it's it's pretty stripped down. Tricks is, but if you just need basic editing, I mean, it's it's kind of a nice way to go, and it works in kind of the same way as Active Storage. So it has its own table. You tell it that it has a text field um, in the model, and then it does all the things, and then it adds a rich text. Rich text area or rich text field, I can't remember. But that's the helper that you use in your form builder. And just it sticks it in there and does all the things. So that's worked out really, really, really nicely. The only issues that I ran into were I copied and pasted a field and then turned it into a rich, te- rich text field. And I left the form control class from uh, base or bootstrap on it. And that messed it up. But other than that, it's it's been great. You know, and and that was me. It wasn't action text, but it stores it all as HTML, and then you can just pull it back out. And it does all the sanitation and clean stuff for you. So I know that you can expand tricks, but I haven't done anything with that. So yeah, I was gonna say. So I'm curious. Like my first question for you would be like, what um, JavaScript pipeline did you use to bring it in? Did you use I'm using Rockets, Webpacker, PropShaft, Import Maps. Okay, yeah, I vaguely. I remember that being reasonably easy. There's only like a couple lines you have to add in your pack file. I, think. I don't think I even um, had to do that. I think I just ran the 
generator and it put it all in. I might have had to go hunt up the CSS file for it and add it to my pipeline for my CSS, but I think that was the extent of it. Are you running your CSS through Sprockets? Or no, through I'm running it through Webpacker. So I think that was why. I think if I'd been running it through Sprockets, I think that's where it put it from the generator. Yeah, I feel like there's there's definitely some weird stuff that happens because everybody's on different like JavaScript pipelines. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, and I wouldn't be shocked if the generator detects if you're running Webpacker or have it installed or something like that. I don't know. I don't know how smart that is, but it was pretty simple. So I was I was super gratified because I have gone through the paces with what is it, Tiny MCE, and try to make that all play nice with some of the stuff that I've put together. And I've had it work fine some of the time, and I've had it not work fine some of the time. And trying to track down what the exact issue is is a huge pain in the neck. It would be super cool if Action Text basically was like, yeah, you can use tricks or tiny MCE or like uh-huh. that would be super cool but I'm but it's probably never happening cuz tiny MCE is just way too old. I there. could also see though if there are other rich text editors yeah that you could add a a gem effectively that when you do rich, rich text area or uh, maybe you do like tiny MCE text area or something like that right it would do the same thing and it would then just save it back to the active storage table because that's all model-based and so it shouldn't matter once you send it back within within the right parameters. So, Didn't Trix actually kind of like talk about that? Like about why the other WYSIWYG editors sucked and then they were just like, oh, it has all these problems and so we... We made tricks because we hated those problems or something like Could that. Could be. We had Javin on I the, know. I think it was on this show, and I think we also had him on JavaScript Jabber to talk about those particular issues. So, yeah, I vaguely feel like I remember reading that, but their homepage looks different now. I'll so. put links to those episodes in the show notes. There was an issue a while ago. Somebody requested Markdown support for tricks. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's kind of a. Whew, a long-winded response chain, but essentially, you know, Trix is focused on the text area element mm-hmm. and augmenting it versus creating, you know, a full-blown WYSIWYG editor replacement for the text area. And I think that's kind of where their focus is, is keeping it simple so that if you want anything kind of crazy that, you know, uses Canvas or, you know, needs any extended plugins... You know, there are plenty of other choices out there. I don't see any reason why you couldn't, unless I misunderstood your question and I could have, or your comment, but I don't see any reason why you couldn't just add a markdown field and then allow you to kind of switch back and forth. But if you want tricks to save it as markdown, yeah, I don't know. There are parsers that go both ways, so I don't know why you couldn't if you really, really wanted to. I mean, you can do anything you want. The problem is we're always just like, oh, now I have to write JavaScript, and I'm just not interested in that. And so did somebody else do it for me? Oh, thank you. This is great. Mm-hmm. And then you you dive into it, and you know there's a problem with it. And the first thing you do isn't, oh, let me see if I can fix this, because you don't want to touch that. You know, uh, you say, oh, let's see if there's something else. <laughs> right. Right? Like, I feel like that's just sort of like the habit. And... and and I'm saying it like kind of facetiously and everything, but like I'm not ashamed, really. Like I I love programming in Ruby. I really hate programming in JavaScript, even with ES6. Like 
it, it's way better with ES6, but yeah. it's it's not as awesome as Ruby, and it's there's a very large difference in my developer happiness, mm-hmm. and and so when I'm troubleshooting, right, it changes my uh, my calculus, so to speak, right? Like I'm more likely to go look for something that somebody else did in JavaScript because I know that the amount of time that I'm going to spend trying to one figure out what the heck is going on, but then two be like, wow, this is a really weird problem mm-hmm. and I'm have to come up with this weird solution because I'm mucking with third party stuff usually, right? And I gotta get it working. Yeah, it's just it takes forever. Yeah, my my feels on that has more to do with has somebody already done this than whether or not it's in JavaScript. I mean I don't mind diving into JavaScript if I need to, but if somebody's done the work, I, I don't see any reason why I should focus on that problem. I'll I'll pull in their problem, save myself a crap ton of time, and then just move along to something else. I think what I was really trying to say is that it, it waits it waits that look for something else mm-hmm. that or look for something that somebody else did like more heavily for me than it does in Ruby. That's fair. I think a lot of that's gonna be down to familiarity and, you know, knowing how to solve the problem and I think as Rails developers or Rubyists, we kind of focus a lot more on the back end type of problems. So we're just more comfortable living in that space. I also have some trauma from looking at these like 3,000 <laughs> line files for, you know, uh, you know, the f- fourth method out of six that are very similarly named, you know, which is the one that I actually need, and then tracing it back through like eight other methods mm-hmm. and then just getting all angry because i'm like this is useless abstraction here and and it took me forever to figure out what i needed to find and i now i found my hook that i need and so like i can solve the problem or i didn't find a hook at all and so yeah and then i'm angry about that so yeah yeah, it's just i think it's all of that kind of stuff that at the end of the day like makes me like want to avoid that until until i know that no one else has solved my problem right and then then I go downstairs, make myself like a cup of tea or something, come back up, get as calm as I can, and then get prepared for the the deep dive. Makes sense. I do like tricks. I uh, I do think that it's not well. I mean, as you brought up, Valentino, it's not as full features as it could be, and yeah. uh, that's disappointing in some ways. You can you can extend it, and that's super cool. But I also don't need WYSIWYG editors on every project. Well, now that I know that Markdown's missing, I would totally add that. <laughs> I use Markdown for everything. Nobody else wants that. Uh, I should say, like, none of my clients want Markdown. Right. I'm always like, hey, uh, this is super cool. Why doesn't everyone use it? But I, I, I know I know that it's never going to yeah, sell. Yeah, I wrote a whole book in Markdown and then tried to hand it off to an editor. And yeah, that went over like a fart in church. All of my contracts are actually a Markdown. <laughs> And so then I like convert them. Yep. I had to, to convert mine to Word. Word. I, I stopped doing yep. that. I, yeah, I stopped doing that a while ago. And I was like, all right, this is dumb. I'm converting it every single time. This is not scalable. I've implemented so many WYSIWYG editors over the years. And I mean, every single time it's because you want like what Trix has and then like some obscure feature that you want mm-hmm. to integrate into it. <laughs> and I feel like if you're going to head down that road anyway, then you don't need tricks. <laughs> right? Like yeah. the, the whole like bubble is like front end focused, like we've been saying, right? Uh, and any time that like some, you know, that you want to extend 
whatever the browser provides you, it always ends up like a nightmare. And from my experience with Rails, is like those nightmares are often like left until people are just like either abandon it or so fed up that somebody integrates it eventually. <laughs> yeah, well, there was a contract I worked pretty early on. They had they they had completely customized one of the JavaScript ones. This was one of the first ones that I I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was CK Editor that they had. Anyway, it, it was on a website. Like I said, I was contracting on it like 12 years ago, and uh, yeah, they had made it into their own thing, and it had its own little bits to it. And that was such a pain to dig through because the the problem that you get into, at least with JavaScript, you get into it a little bit with Ruby. But with JavaScript, yeah, I mean, it it goes through so many files in so many places that just tracking the issue down is a giant pain. Or they've run it through some build tool, and so now it's obfuscated and all jammed into one file. And so then you're jumping around the whole dang thing to figure your crap out. Thank you, Kerm, for Pretty Print. At least that saves us a little bit sometimes. Yeah, Pretty Print and... You know, if you have a source map, that's nice on the front end. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to top end devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks and wrap this sucker up. John, do you want to start us off? I did mention that tutorial earlier in uh, this thing. So I'm going to pull that up or whatever. I was trying to find it earlier. Oh, here it is. Okay. Yep. So I'm going to throw that tutorial in just because even if you choose to not use, uh, you know, uh, refile or whatever, which is what I was using or whatever, I still think that, um, you know, doing drag and drop stuff with drop zone or now there's some other stuff that's, uh, that looks nicer than drop zone and stuff. It, the same principle applies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a great tutorial that kind of shows you how to wrap all that stuff in stimulus um, and I took that and that sort of like launched my journey into stimulus and wrapping other things, you know, in stimulus or whatever. Um, and it just, it went great from there. So I'll throw that in there. Um, and then I don't have it with me, but, uh, I also have a scotch pick for this week or whatever. So I'm going to, I'm recommending the, uh, Glen Scotia 15 year again because I got it again, and I'm enjoying it again. Um, it's probably my current favorite scotch still, after, like, 
discovering it like four years ago. So uh, that's how that's what I think about it. Um, it's uh, it behaves a lot like it's about as smooth as like a lot of 18 years. And um, it's got I think it's like its big thing is that it has like a caramel note in it. So it's which is pretty unique. Um, I mean, it's got it's got a lot of notes. It's it's like a super in depth. It's just really good. It's it's got a lot of deep notes. Um, and uh, but yeah, the caramel one's pretty unique. There's not. I really don't uh, taste that in anything else. So yep. Anyway, I got that. So those are my picks for this. Awesome, week. Valentino. What are your picks? So my first pick, one of my coworkers, Nicholas Pufali wrote this article uh, on how Doximity is using uh, our GitHub Actions to kind of make our developer experience much more smooth with our, our GraphQL processes. Uh, so I recommend ch- checking it out. Uh, definitely some great stuff that uh, he's been working on. Um, another pick I have is kind of just super fun. It's called DNS Toys. Uh, it basically exposes kind of like uh external services through dns with dig so you can you know dig for newyork.time at dns.toys and it'll give you the uh, time in new york or it has weather or unit conversions uh you know if if you want to blow past all of the you know tcp udp layer uh, of the internet and get the fastest possible result back. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's an interesting way to do it. Uh, kind of hacking the existing, uh, DNS for that. Um, and, uh, the last one I have is this tool called do it live. It's really cool. Uh, basically it lets you, uh, read, uh, a file of shell commands and it replays the commands in a fake terminal session as you type just random characters uh, so it's used for presentations. If you ever need to give a live demo of something, you could just replay basically your session from a previous file. Uh, and it's pretty neat. <laughs> so I highly recommend checking that out as well. Awesome. I'm going to go in with my board game pick first, and that is Legendary Dark City Expansion. Um, so this is on the Marvel Legendary game. I think I picked it in the past. Uh, this board game clocks in on Board Game Geek at a 2.63 weight. So it's firmly in the casual gamer arena, right? So if you're playing Legendary, this doesn't make it that much more complicated at all. Anyway, really enjoy it. It has um, some of the, I guess, less well-known and kind of street-level um, heroes. So it's got like uh, Daredevil and Elektra and some of them in it. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's a fun one. Really enjoy that one. And then, um, God, I feel like I've kind of long-term picked active storage and action text just cause I've found them really, really, really handy. And so I'm going to pick those. And then, um, one other thing I'm going to pick, and this is, so I've been running for school board here in Utah, um, for my local school district and I had to get some flyers done. And so, friend of mine sent me the design she used for her flyers. Um, and then I kind of, you know, doctored it up and, you know, changed some of the background and stuff. I did, did all that myself. Um, and then I needed to print them. 
and I went on Vistaprint. And um, I've kind of had hit or miss quality with Vistaprint, but they were super cheap. And so I think I got like 2,000 flyers for like 50 bucks or 60 bucks. I can't remember. But it was a really, really good deal. And they turned out really, uh, really well uh, printed. So I'm going to happily pick, pick them as well. And then one last thing um, I'm going to just shout out about is that we do have the the Summit Rails Remote Conf coming up in August. Uh, DHH is going to come do a Q&A. And so if you want to check that out, go to topendevs.com slash conferences, and it'll list it there. And that's pretty much all I got. So until next time, folks, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.